The Veritas Radio Network is guaranteed the right to offend, annoy, agitate, shout, harass, and entertain. You should start programming right now. Kind of like the cultural sewage served up on Bravo or CMT, only it's on 24 hours a day, except Sundays. When the truth gets you angry and you throw your smartphone, remember, no one is forcing you to listen to the truth on the Veritas Radio Network. You can't handle the truth. You're doing that of your own free will. That's what makes this country great and any gay marriage pointless. That's offensive. So there isn't much you can do about it, Chowderhead. I'm trying to think, but nothing happens. Grab a book, take a vow, and conform your mind to reality. Reality. Otherwise, you're just another Judas-inspired Karl Marx wannabe. And your children will steal your credit card number to buy tickets to the Miley Cyrus Twerkers Ball. I came in like a wrecking Are you ready? Let's get it on. On the Veritas Radio Network's Crusade. to the live edition of Philosophia Podenis live classroom and chat room here on the Crusade Channel, King Size Truth from Radio Size Speakers. Tonight is a very special uh, episode of Dehomine, dumb, uh, number, uh, le- lecture number 31. And the reason why it is a very special episode because this concludes Dehomine. And uh, we'll play Alma Mater and Brother Andre will give us our... Um, We'll make the commencement speech, and we'll knight us all and give us our graduation credentials. And then we'll move on to some other endeavor. This will also be the last live Philosophy of Pedenius presentation for 2017. And it is worth noting that uh, Philosophy of Pedenius began broadcasting before there was a crusade channel in 2014 and or 2015 rather and uh here we are uh we'll be uh, three almost three years in very soon so uh welcome you can join the chat room if you'd like it's free don't cost nothing at my website mikechurch.com just click the uh catholicism tab at the top of the page and then philosophy of Penennis in it's the second item. It's the it's the Dehomine main page, and on that page you'll see the chat room window, and you just pick a username and a password, which you can choose any one you want, and then log in, and you can join the chat room. So, Brother Andre, evening, Mike. Tonight is graduation ceremony. Yes, well, students, as you graduate and go in, out into that big bad world, remember everything you've been taught here at. Uh, De homine you. <laughs> Remember all that you have learned, young Padawans, <laughs> to take your learning out into the big, heartless, cruel world. Uh, brother, 
Tonight's uh, lecture, if uh, people, uh, folks listen to it today, I actually got a chance to listen to almost the whole thing uh, twice, is mostly a lecture about Psalm number 91, but towards the end, uh, when Brother Francis is done cracking jokes, he uh, does uh, talk about the Summa a bit, and I suppose that's probably where we'll begin our discussion tonight. Yeah, that's what I'd like to do, because um, he's talking about... Um, actually, it's funny. I just pulled up the wrong reference in the Summa. Um, he is talking about the freedom of the will. Okay. Actually, you know what? I, I'm sorry. I threw up the wrong Summa reference in the chat room. Um, well, that's it, brother. You're I've, fired. I've been. I, I have a whole bunch of Summa references here. Um, that I was using today, and I, th I thought I had. Oh, boy. Um, so he's talking about the freedom of the will. Right. And in the context of talking about the freedom of the will, he's asking about whether, whether violence uh, imposes, um, whether, whether violence makes the will not free. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, I've managed to completely lose the reference <laughs> that I had in the Summa. Um, so if you give me, uh, um, if you give me a minute, I can find it, but I can't do it while I'm talking. Well, uh, we, we have the actual lecture here. Yeah. And so, by the way, there was either a mouse in the back in the room that was running around on a little, uh, a little mouse cage wheel, or y'all had, a, they had a lot of crickets at the St. Augustine Center that night. The free will of man. There are three truths that philosophy can prove. When I mean philosophy, I mean wholesome philosophy, sound philosophy, where thought is yeah, that's working a the way God intended it to work. <laughs> there are three major <laughs> truths that man can arrive at without revelation by just using the mind God gave him well. And the three okay, I found are, it. The existence of God. It's of faith now that we can prove the existence of God by reason. Did you know that? One of the definitions, one of the infallible pronouncements of Pius IX in Vatican I, the Pope in Council, we attribute it to the Council, but no Council's decision becomes final until ratified by the Pope. So one of the pronouncements of Vatican I is that the human mind can arrive at the knowledge of God, even without revelation. You know, uh, brother, I was driving around. I had to go pick Midas Church up today because the car broke down. So uh, I went to go get her, and I was listening to this. And she's driving on, and we're having small talk. And she's listening, and, she go, and she's going, what is that squeaking sound? I said, what squeaking yeah. sound? And she said, you don't hear that. And I said, no. So then I turned brother off for a minute, and she goes, oh, it's gone. And I said, I don't know, maybe my brakes are squeaking or something. So I turned brother back on. She goes, it's back. You don't hear that? And then I finally heard it, and I figured out. She goes, that, is, that a, is there a cricket in that room? And I said, I don't know if there's a cricket or there's just something that's, uh, that's in motion and squeaking. Well, so, it, it was August when he gave this lecture, and I know that because he's talking about two saints. He says, who are on the same month, and it was uh, t two saints from August. It was Saint uh, Augustine and Saint Louis the Ninth. 
Yeah. And they're both saints on the calendar in August. So, yeah. Uh, so it was summer. So that's that's quite that's prime cricket season there. Prime cricket season. The yeah. reason that you well, uh, tuned into so, so the tonight. You're not the only one that has crickets when you talk, Mike. <laughs> Oh, brother, but my crickets are multiplying. Uh, <laughs> like um, like so, rabbits so in Australia. Uh, I found the passage. Okay. And um, it's not the one that I threw up earlier on whether charity is friendship. Uh, I, was pl- I was using that today for something I was writing. Um, sorry about the, the wrong reference. So um, I'm right now um, doing the delicate task of posting the link up in the chat room. There you go. Um, here you go. All right. Well, brother, I will tell you just to pursue it to what brother was just saying that you can prove the existence of God from reason. Uh, I had an argument the other day with someone. I saw that you joined the, the Gab.ai. I had a, uh, uh, an argument with someone on the Gab the other day who I can't remember what I had published there, but he said, yes, according to you. And I said, no, according to God. And he said, there is no God. And I we had a little tit for tat going. And, oh, no, it wasn't on Gab. It was on, it was on, it was on, it was on Pride Book. And I told him, I, I said, I can prove my point. Can you prove yours? And... He said, I, I don't have to prove my point because there's nothing to prove. There is no God. And I pulled the argument on him, uh, St. Thomas's argument from motion, that, okay, who made the first thing? What made the first thing move, genius? And, of course, you know, there, there, there's dead silence and there's no answer. And then you get some, well, that's, not, that's, ir- that's irrelevant to the question. I mean, no, it's not. <laughs> you said that there is no God. I said, I'm, I said, I'm not even going to call him God. I'm going to call him the non-contingent being. How about that? And uh, he actually had to acknowledge at the end. He goes, okay, well, I don't have an answer for that, but I have to go think about it. <laughs> well, that's, that's rare, actually. That's rare. Well, no, he didn't have an answer. He said, I don't, I don't have an answer it's to that. Good that he, it's good that he said, I have to go think about it about it that's even even that is a, is an amazing takes takes an unusual amount of uh, humility or at least honesty well uh, he, he he said uh well you're making a theological argument i said i can make it so it's not a theological argument here you go then i gave him the motion and that's when he said i don't have an answer to that <laughs> so <laughs> yeah that, well there you go that's why we, that's one of the reasons we study this stuff yeah no it comes in handy so um we now have the proper link and we can begin our uh discussion here on uh, the homine lecture number 31 the 31 31st and final uh article 6 whether fear causes involuntariness Simply, is that what we're reading tonight? Yes, yes. So, so um, let's just go through it. Okay. Um, now, keep in mind what, what what simply is what simply means here. <laughs> so, um, in in Latin, and, and brother talks about this in in the lecture. There, there's a distinction that he's constantly um, pointing out wherever Saint Thomas uses it, and he reminds us that he's already told us about this. It's uh, the distinction between simplicitare and secundum quid. Simplicitare means simply. Secundum quid means um, under a certain formality. It literally, it translates, secundum quid literally translates into according to which. 
So, but it means it, we translate it to English loosely, but 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 in a more precise meaning. So it makes sense it, as under a certain formality. So the distinction between um, simpliciter and secundum quid is a distinction between simply speaking and but or under a certain formality. So when he says simply, he's using that word simpliciter, and it's going to be contrasted with secundum quid. So um, why don't we just go through? Um, I think I think we can go through the whole thing because there's only one that we need we have to do tonight, Mike. Yes. So I think we can go through all of the objections. I think we can go through it in the order that St. Thomas wrote it. The reason that I wanted to skip to these said contra and the respondeo before was just more in the interest of time. But so let's just sort of read through it together. Objection one. So again, the answer, the, the question is whether fear causes involuntariness simply. Objection one. It would seem that fear causes involuntariness simply. For just as violence regards that which is contrary to the will at the time, so fear regards a future evil, which is repugnant to the will. But violence causes involuntariness simply. Therefore, fear too causes involuntariness simply. Now, when he says fear, uh, it, it talks about something that is in the future. Fear regards a future evil. Fear is the... Uh, uh, remember, when you experience a present evil, the um, the irascible passion that is aroused uh, there is anger. The experiencing of a present evil that it was difficult to avoid, we experience anger. But the fear is the irascible passion that we experience that an evil may befall us. Okay, so... He's, when he's distinguishing between violence, which is present, and fear, which is future, something that might happen, that, that's why you get that, um, that, that, that difference in tense. Uh, both of them are repugnant to the will. Okay, so, but violence causes involuntariness simply, therefore fear too causes involuntariness simply, because both of them cause involuntariness to the will, therefore he's arguing both of them would do it simply speaking and not under some other formality. Further, that which is such of itself remains such, whatever be added to it. Thus was it not, th uh, excuse me, thus was what is not hot of itself, as long as it remains, is still hot, whatever be added to it. But that which is done through fear is involuntary in itself. Therefore, even, if, even with the addition of fear, it is involuntary. Objection three. Further, that which is such, subject to a condition, is such in a certain respect. Okay, in a certain respect is secundum quid, or under a certain formality. So that which is that which is such is such uh, subject to a condition, is such in a certain respect. So in other words, what he's saying is if it's if it's if it's this way because of some condition, and not simply speaking in itself, um, then, continuing on, uh, without any condition, it is such simply. Thus, what is necessary, subject to a condition, is necessary in some respect. But what is necessary absolutely is necessary simply. 
But when it's, it's a hard argument to follow, but that which is done through fear is absolutely involuntary and is not voluntary, save under a condition, namely, in order that the evil feared may be avoided. Therefore, that which is done through fear is involuntary simply. Okay, so obviously, given that those are the objections, you know that he's going to say that involuntariness uh, does not cause, uh, rather that fear does not cause involuntariness simply, but that if it causes it at all, it causes involuntariness through uh, 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 secundum quid. All right, on the contrary, Gregory of Nyssa and the philosopher say that such things are done, such things as are done through fear are voluntary rather than involuntary. So he, he quotes them saying it exactly, pr- probably Gregory Anissa was quoting uh, Aristotle, but I'm not certain, because yeah. they both said exactly the same thing. Uh, um, that which, those things that are done through fear are voluntary rather than involuntary. I answer that, because here's, here's where we get the meat of it. Now, l- let, let me just make a remark before I d- do this. Some of you may have heard those three objections and say, this is extremely obscure. What's the benefit of, of even asking this question? Well, so much of St. Thomas is like this. He asks a question that, that may seem to be obscure or purposeless, but in the midst of asking that question, he lays down a lot of principles and leads us to other conclusions besides what he's answering there. So you, you might find that something in this answer says something more than simply answering this question, if you catch my drift. Uh, I answer that. As the philosopher says, and likewise Gregory of Nyssa in his book on man, uh, such things as are done through fear are of a mixed character, being partly voluntary and partly involuntary. For that which is done through fear considered in itself is not voluntary, but it becomes voluntary in this particular case in order, namely, to avoid the evil feared. But if the matter be considered aright, such things are voluntary rather than involuntary, for they are voluntary simply, but involuntary in a certain respect. For a thing is said to be simply according as it is in act, but according as it is only in apprehension, that is in, in the mind, huh? it is not simply, but in a certain respect. Now that which is done through fear is in act insofar as it is done. For since acts are concerned with singulars, and the singular as such is here and now, that which is done is in act insofar as it is here and now and, and under other individuating circumstances. And that which is done through fear is voluntary inasmuch as it is here and now. That is to say, insofar as under the circumstances it hinders a greater evil which was feared. Thus, the throwing up of the cargo into the sea becomes voluntary during the storm uh, through fear of the danger. Wherefore it, is, it is, uh, volun- uh, wherefore, it is clear that it is voluntary simply, and hence it is that what is done out of fear is essentially voluntary, because its principle is within. But if we consider what is done through fear as outside this particular case, and inasmuch as it is repugnant to the will, this is merely a consideration of the mind. So, okay, what does that mean? 
Oh, wait, let me finish the paragraph. And consequently, that which is done through fear is involuntary, considered in that respect, that is to say, outside the actual circumstances of the case. So if, if you're confronted with um, a, 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 a difficult situation, such as the, 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 waters, the, the, the ship is taking on water, it's being tossed by, by the sea, and the only way that we can be saved is if we start uh, jettisoning the, uh, the, the, the luggage, the, the, the cargo, which could be very valuable. So we don't want to be throwing these things overboard. We, right. you know, these things could be worth a great deal of money. It might be a merchant ship, um, and uh, or it might be you know some we're carrying our luggage or whatever. These things could be of great value, and uh, simply speaking, we would never want to throw away you know objects of value. So simply speaking, it is involuntary because it would it would contradict our will. Right, but um, because of some um, danger, we are pressed to do to do the to do this thing. Therefore, we have to get rid of the. We, if it's then we're going to survive. So, for fear, out of fear of death, uh, we're going to uh, get rid of the of the cargo. Okay, and but. In doing it, it's voluntary. Simply speaking, that is a voluntary act. Under the circumstances, under the circumstances, it is, uh, it is simply voluntary. It's not involuntary. Uh, it's under the circumstances. It is simply voluntary. So, so, but, but, if we were, if because we're doing it by constraint, so. Simply speaking, it's involuntary, but in those circumstances, we must do it. So it's voluntary. So it's, you, you cannot say, then, that fear destroys the freedom of the will. Now, brother, Brother's point in bringing this up is that <clears throat> this defends the freedom of the will, because he said, nowadays, you want to blame everything else but the, the agent who's actually acting. You know, it was his upbringing, you know, he was, he was uh, you know, he was possibly, you know, uh, uh, a potty trained prematurely when he was a child, or his, he didn't have a good relationship with his mother, or society's to blame, or whatever the, um, the, the excuses are, we, we want to blame everything else but the actual acting agent. Now, yeah, there are times when, because of an absolute loss of, of uh, one's mental faculties, uh, the freedom of the will is impaired, and there's not, and there's not full culpability, and there might, in fact, there might be no culpability. But we can't be overly generous and, and presumptuous in our assigning um, uh, no culpability to acts that we do, um, even acts that are done out of fear or acts that are done out of um, uh, violence. It's not, there's not a complete jettisoning of moral culpability. There's not a complete jettisoning of the, of the, of the freedom of the will. So Brother Francis says that this, knowing this question, studying this question, is a great way for us to defend the freedom of the will. So let's look at his reply to Objection 1. Things done through fear and compulsion differ not only according to present and future time, but also in this, 
that the will does not consent, but is moved entirely counter to that which is done through compulsion. Whereas what is done through fear becomes voluntary because the will is moved towards it, albeit not for its own sake, but on account of something else. That is, in order to avoid an evil which is feared. Okay, so the will, what he's saying here, if you throw away that luggage, if you throw away that valuable, those, those valuable goods that you have in, in the storage hold of the ship, it's, it becomes voluntary in light of the, the greater evil that you're wishing to avoid, which is death. So, brother, at this point, quoted the, the, the joke about the old man who was asked, you know, how do you like old age? And he says, well, I, I, I really don't like it, but uh, when I think of the alternative, it becomes bearable. The <laughs> was being death, right? So th that's kind of a way of making light of it, but that's a perfect illustration of what's talk what he's talking about here. It's still, even though you don't want to throw away your favorite, uh, you know, this valuable item, whatever it is, so as to save the ship and everyone in it, including yourself, even though you don't want to jettison this thing, um, you, you, you will to do it because you will to survive. So it's, it's voluntary, but it's voluntary uh, not for its own sake, but for something else. That, which, that, that is to say, it's not, <clears throat> it's not voluntary simply, but it's voluntary secundum quid. Okay, now continuing on, for the conditions of a voluntary act are satisfied if it be done on account of something else, voluntary. Since the voluntary is not only what we wish for its own sake and as its end, but also what we wish for the sake of something else as an end. Now, here let me go on a little tangent to, to help illustrate this. If you really will something, if you really will an end you will the proper means to obtain that end. Now, all of us, if we think about this enough, will probably have some um, cause for, for, for shame. <laughs> because if you will an end, if you really will an end, you will all the means to it, implies that in our moral life, if we will to be morally upright, we will all the means to it, you know, which we will avoid sin. We will avoid the occasions of sin. We will be proactive in, in living a life of virtue and not of vice. Huh? So willing to will the end means truly to will, all, will the actual means to that end. So although you don't will to throw away your, your, um, your luggage, your valuables, you do will to live, <laughs> and because you will to live, you're willing the means to do that, right? So what are the means to do that when you're in this storm and the ship's taking on water? Well, heaving the valuables overboard. So you did it, in, in one sense, simply speaking, you did it against your will, but, but under a certain aspect, you did it voluntarily. So... This is where we sort of fight with ourselves, and only humans can do this. No other, no other creature can do this. You, you don't see, you know, dogs saying, "Well, I, you know, I really want that, but I have to, you know, I have to mortify myself. You know, I have to offer it up. <laughs> um, I, I have to think of the greater good." 
they don't do that because they don't have the freedom of the they don't have freedom of the will. Only a, a being endowed with free will can you even talk about this sort of thing. So for the greater for the for the greater good, um, which could be something that's uh, driven into us by fear, namely the greater good being survival, huh? Not just having the you know you you you're surviving perhaps a little poorer, but you're surviving. So the, the, for the greater good to be achieved, you're willing these, these intermediate steps, which include something that's otherwise contrary to your will, namely getting rid of your valuables. Hopefully I made it obvious there. There you go. <clears throat> it is clear, therefore, that in, that in what is done from compulsion, the will does nothing inwardly, whereas what is done through fear, the will does something Okay, so what is done under compulsion? In other words, if your body's, if you're literally compelled, like in other words, if you're tied down, if your arm is forced, if you're, you know, if, if your finger's made physically to pull a trigger to kill somebody that you don't want to kill, that's all what he's talking about under compulsion. Under compulsion, he's not talking about moral compulsion. Um, the, the kind of the kind of compulsion that we would talk about really is fear. The kind of compulsion we would normally talk about is fear. Because remember earlier he talked about violence. And he's talking about f physical violence, forcing a body to do something. You know, you don't want to. You don't want to um, kneel down. Well, I'll force you down. You know, you physically force somebody. That's that's compulsion. That's violence. But if you say you don't, if you don't kneel down, I'll shoot you. Okay. <laughs> and you kneel down. Well, did you will to kneel down? No. Not simply speaking, but yes, secundum quid, because out of fear. I, I willfully knelt so as to avoid a worse evil. Huh? Uh, accordingly, as Gregory of Nyssa says, in order to execute things done through fear, a violent action is defined as not only one, the principle whereof is from without, but with the addition in which he that suffers violence concurs not at all. Because the will of him that is in fear does concur somewhat in what he has through fear. So there's the difference between violence and fear. So violence, the principle of the action is from without, uh, and it's something that you, you don't concur with. Uh, um, fear, uh, you, can, you concur, you, uh, you, you do concur, the will does concur, although it doesn't like it. Okay. I'm going to do this thing even though I don't like it because I fear that a worse evil will befall me if I don't do it. So, yes, the answer to the question then, whether fear causes involuntariness simply is, is no. It causes involuntariness only under, uh, only under a certain aspect. We do that act voluntarily. We do that act voluntarily, but um, we 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 don't do it because we we like it. We don't do it's not it's not simply voluntary. It's it's voluntary secundum quid, huh? So, brother, to to uh, maybe make an example. So the opposite of what you're talking about—that the fear could cause the involuntariness. Um, there is fear present, um, or you would think there would be, when the, the 16 Carmelites are going to the scaffold on 17 July 1794. 
yet they voluntarily either ignore it or God gave them the grace to not be fearful. How would that apply? Yeah, well, in in this case, well, okay, so in this case, you're talking about, well, that's actually an interesting case to look at, different virtues that could be operating here. But in this case, they're compelled uh, to undergo death because yes. they refuse to, you know, to apostatize and all that. So obviously there's a fear of death. All men have a fear of death. Um, but the, their they, their will overcame that fear. Now it could have overcome it for for one of two reasons, uh, or both. Both actually, the lower of the two reasons would be they feared they they overcame the fear of the guillotine because there was a greater fear, namely that of hell. And being good little Catholic girls, they knew that, you know, <laughs> apostasy, you know, is punished in hell. So that that is something to fear, and a greater fear uh, than fearing, you know, getting your head chopped off. Um, but then there were also, not only were they good little Catholic girls, they were, they were good little Carmelites who were probably well advanced in the spiritual life, most of them anyway. And they would have done it because they loved God. Right. And they would have considered it an honor to die for him. And they would have considered, okay, well, I'm going to be, uh, you know, uh, they, could say, they could say to Jesus as Moses' uh, wife, uh, said to him on a thou art a bloody spouse to me and uh, undergone a bloody martyrdom in imitation of his own death on the cross to be more perfectly joined to their spouse. So that would be out of charity. And of course, you know, but of course the operative virtue here that, that overcomes fear is fortitude, huh? But fortitude can be commanded by charity. So um, if it's Saint, I wrote something about this today and sent it out. If it if it was um, if it was Saint Therese that was marching off to the scaffold, um, she would have said, "Well, I love Jesus, and Jesus wants me to die a martyr. So goody, I get to do this for him." <laughs> and and it would have been a perfect act of charity as well as for. I mean, she wouldn't have cared about the fortitude thing, but. But uh, she would have said, this is the way I'm going to prove to my beloved spouse how much I love him. Because all nuns are very aware. Uh, they all, they're all trained in this spousal imagery. They think of themselves as spouses of Christ. They're all little images of the church, which is the, sp which is the spouse of, of Christ. Christ is the bridegroom, and, and the church is, is his bride. And, and sisters and nuns, and nuns strictly speaking, which Carmelites are, um, are little images of the church. And um, you know, they, they, they're all, believe me, nuns are super into spousal imagery. Um, not modern, you know, you know Not the way we think about nuns, it. But right. the real ones. Right. And uh, the, the, uh, like St. Therese, I was reading something about her the other day, and she was, it's, she was very, just in her, in her active oblation to... to the merciful love, she she refers to Jesus Christ as her as her as her savior and her spouse. So that kind of thing um, is something she would have done out of love, but but you could say, well, there's also a fear operating there. Well, now and and yes, there could be a fear of hell, 
but remember that the, 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 we, 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 we're sorry, we're, we're in the act of contrition, we're sorry for two reasons. We cover our bases. We have the imperfect motive for contrition, which is uh, fear of hell. Then we have the perfect motive of contrition, which is the love of God. And my, my guess, I don't, I didn't know those Carmelites, and I'm no expert in, in, in the Carmelites of Campaign, but I, I, my guess is that a good number of them went to the scaffold thinking, like St. Therese, that this is an honor and I'm going to be more perfectly united to my spouse. I would think that that, um, uh, the, because there was some, um, there was a biographer of sorts, someone that was with them before they were uh, actually locked up and thrown into the prison. And I think it was one of the other sisters from who was in their order, but wasn't of that convent or that cloister. Um, okay. So there were witnesses, and uh, they volunteered. <clears throat> but the mother superior, yeah. I can't think, I can't remember her name, but the mother superior actually told them, "We're going, you're volunteering to die. <laughs> you're going to become a martyr, but we're going to ask God that uh, if we offer our lives, will he end the great terror? And, of course, he did. That's the story. Brother, uh, I see tonight on tonight's uh, Reconquest, episode number 106, you have one of my uh, my favorite sisters, Sister Maria Gabriella, and you guys are going to be talking about... We're going to be talking about the little <laughs> sister we were just talking about, uh, St. Therese. Oh, okay. That's right. So it's called The Little Way of St. Therese, and Sister Maria Gabrielle is my, my guest. First time I've ever had her on. And... If you haven't met Sister Maria Gabriella, she is a little way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's, she's, she's rather diminutive. She's, she's very petite. She's uh, 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 Craig Silverman was at uh, the SBC this year, and he met all of them. So he knows. He knows. Uh, but hey, great things come to small packages. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and uh, and and she really uh, has devoted herself to studying Saint Therese. So. She gave a, a couple of talks on the subject here, and I, th I figured it was time for a reconquest with her. So this, this will expand beyond her normally au normal audience, which is her fifth grade classroom. <laughs> <laughs> and she's very bright. I think you'll all be impressed when you hear a, oh, a, she's the, the, a, a fifth grade teacher talking about these things. Brother, there's no one at the SBC who's not bright. All, uh, <laughs> all the way down to Huan, the dog. So, <laughs> um, somebody, somebody in the chat room made a remark um, about like taking medicine. It was Craig, and I think I know where he was talking about, brother. Fred, th th this is another example of of how something can be uh, voluntary, simply speaking, but in involuntary under under um, another aspect. So. Uh, actually, it, it's it's voluntary secundum quid, but uh, it's simpliciter involuntary. And what is that example that Brother Francis gave when he had malaria when he was a child, and it was he was saying how horrible it was. He didn't have the faith yet, but he just he wanted to die. It was so horrible, and and he would have bouts where he got better, and then he would it would all come back the next day. And he had an uncle who was some sort of a physician who had who had concocted some sort of a, of a of a of a cure, some 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 kind of a medicine. And he said, "Well, now now you might get better, but if if you don't knock this thing out, it's going to remain in your system. It's going to come back." He said, "So take this." 
and brother brother Francis said there was no, there was nothing about it that was that was uh, not repulsive to the taste. It was repulsive to the taste in every possible way, uh, which that's very descriptive. I mean, <laughs> something to be uh, contrary to every, every like every part of the tongue that experiences taste. You know, apparently it's contrary to every single one. And um, he, so he said, would I have willed to take that? No, of course not. Uh, so s- simply speaking, he did not will it. But secundum quid, um, um, given the circumstances, given the, given the choices he had, he, he preferred to take this horrid, disgusting, unpleasant medicine uh, to, you know, this, 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 truly horrible and painful and 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 uh wishing to die uh it, it was so severe um illness that he was suffering so th- there's a perfect example simply speaking he didn't want it um under the circumstances secundum quid he wanted it um so he did it he did it voluntarily uh but it was simply speaking. It was involuntary. Secundum quid. It was voluntary. Does that make sense? I hope. I hope that makes sense. Well, um, well, there I, are. Um, you know. You can think of all sorts of things that that you do because you know that if you don't do it, something worse will happen. And of course, responsible adults are constantly <laughs> forced to 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 realize that uh, yes, this is not something that I wish simply. But I do it because uh, of a greater good, or in order, or in order to avoid a, a greater evil, which essentially amounts to the same thing. This is so, the philosophy of Prudentis Live Classroom and Chat Room. Tonight is a Dahomey Lecture Number Thirty One, and that means that we've been here for thirty weeks, believe it or not. But it's been a lot longer than that because we did eight courses of philosophy of Prudentis before even getting to Dahomey. Um, you can find out about all of the courses at Brother Andre's site, which is uh, or the site of the St. Benedict Center, which is Catholicism.org. Uh, and there are all manner of downloads that are available, including the 31 lectures for Dahomey and uh, the eight-part series, the eight lecture parts uh, for Philosophia Padenis. So uh, go check that out. Make sure you send Brother an email and ask him for the Crusade Channel discount coupon code, which he will be delighted to send to you. He even sent a, you sent a few out this week, Brother, so a few new philosophers have joined the ranks. Um, we've yeah. got 20 minutes left or 15 minutes left. Uh, do we have other objections to get to? Yes, we actually do. Um, okay, so uh, let's just finish up the objection one. Uh, replied objection one, accordingly, as St. Gregory of Nyssa says, in order to exclude things done through fear, a violent action is defined not only as one the principle whereof is from without, but with the addition in which he that suffers violence does not concur at all. Because the will of him that is in fear does concur somewhat in what what he does through fear. Okay, So the will is concurring even though you do it through fear. Whereas a violent action forces you physically to do something in which your will does not concur. Reply to objection two. Things that are such absolutely remain such, whatever be added to them. For instance, a cold thing or a white thing. But things that are such relatively vary according as they are compared with different things. 
for what is big in comparison with one thing is small in comparison with another. Now, a thing is said to be voluntary, not for its own sake, as it were, absolutely, but also for the sake of something else, as it were, relatively. Accordingly, nothing prevents a thing which was not voluntary in comparison with one thing from being voluntary when compared to another. So what, what he's saying is that the same act can be voluntary or involuntary depending upon the circumstances. So, and by the way, this is not situation ethics. In fact, this is the very opposite of situation ethics. So, St. Thomas's reasoning here um, um, is the antidote to situation ethics. So a, a, simple, uh, of a simple example of that could be breathing, right? You go underwater, you're uh, not going to breathe. Could be what? Bre breathing. If you're, if, if you're, if you're underwater, you're breathing? not going to breathe. Breathing. Okay. Yeah, yeah, you, you, yeah. Simply speaking, you want to breathe to stay alive. But of course, you, you, you have, you have to will not to, to breathe if you're underwater. Right. Otherwise, you'll die. So that's yeah. just a simple. So, that's, so yeah, yeah, that's a very good example. Simple real world examples on the final dehomenay. I get a little gold star on my um, on my uh, graduation cap tonight. <laughs> okay, reply to three. That which is done through fear is voluntary without any condition. That is to say, according as it is actually, but it is involuntary to say if such a fear were not threatening. Consequently, this argument proves rather the opposite. Now we have to we'd have to look at condition three, and uh, three to see what he's saying there. Um. Okay, which, since we have time, why don't we do that? Objection three, again, further, that which is such, subject to a condition, is such in, in a certain respect, whereas that which is such without any condition is such simply. Thus, what is necessary, subject to a condition, necessary respect, but what is necessary absolutely is necessary simply. But that which is done through fear is absolutely involuntary. And it is not voluntary, save under a condition, namely, in order to, that the evil may, uh, feared may be avoided. Therefore, that which is done through fear is involuntary simply. St. Thomas simply turns that argument against itself and says, actually, the, that argument proves the very opposite. Uh, because if something is, um, because if, if you're distinguishing that under certain circumstances, it's voluntary, whereas under certain other circumstances, it's not, then you're distinguishing between simpliciter and secundum quid. I think it might take like 20 minutes to unpack that, but we don't have kind of time. Uh, does anybody have any questions in the chat about that? Uh, brother, I'm just going to jump in here. Um, your Skype connection is a little sketchy tonight, so... Uh, uh -oh. Yeah, you're popping in and out. Uh, they may not have gotten that entire section there on uh, objection number three. So, for the sake of edification, uh, I, I, I'll read it and then we can see if there are any questions on it. Further, that which is such, subject to a condition, is such in a certain respect. Whereas, what is such, without any condition, is such simply. Thus, what is necessary subject to a condition, is necessary in some respect. But what is necessary absolutely 
is necessary simply. But that which is done through fear is absolutely involuntary and is not voluntary save under a condition, namely, in order that the evil feared may be avoided. Therefore, that which is done through fear is involuntary simply. That argument doesn't make sense. So it, 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 I, I see why he tackled this, because that argument to me is, is, does not calculate. Well, he's saying it's a, it's a self-refuting argument. Um, um, and, and, and St. Thomas sometimes does that. Am I sounding better now? Am I coming through clearer? Yeah, it wasn't that you were, it were clear. It was you, know, you were dropping packets, as they say in Internet speak. Okay, well, so am I dropping you're packets not dro now? No, no, your packets are all intact, brother. Okay, uh, thank God. Um, <laughs> I, I, I tweaked my Internet connection uh, while you were reading that, and that's why I dropped out and dropped back in. Okay, thank the packet. Uh, the, thank the patron saint of packets. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, so what is done through fear is voluntary without any condition, that is to say, according as it is actually done. So we do it because we will the end. And that's, that's ultimately, if you, will, if you will it to be done, even if you're willing it to be done under these particular circumstances and you wouldn't normally uh, will it to be done, you're still willing it. So therefore, it is voluntary. Um, there are times when, 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 when we can... Okay, I'll give you an example since we have some time. This, this, uh, hopefully this is not going to be sounding crude, but this is actually a moral issue that, um, that has come up. And it, it comes up, um, it came up in St. Augustine. And now, I don't have St. Augustine's text in front of me, but I, I, I recently had a tete-a-tete -tete on Facebook, which I should just spend less time there, I guess, not to be safer. But... I, I, I happen to be for a serious reason on the on the Facebook page of a of a uh, Catholic liberal arts college, a very reputable one. Okay. And somebody uh, gave that particular college a one star rating, which you know that that's the way on Facebook to stick it to somebody. <clears throat> because of course they can't edit those ratings, you know, they just somebody who just hates them. Um, goes on and, and, and gives him a one-star rating and, and then makes some snarky comment. So um, the, the, I can name the college. It's not like it's a secret. It's Thomas Aquinas College in California, which is very reputable. Right. I mean, it's not perfect, I, 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 but, but it's reputable. And, and they do a good job, certainly much better than most so-called Catholic universities and colleges today. So I read the comment that the woman made. Now, I was there because I, I w was uh, trying to get information or contact somebody there or something. It, it had to do with something I was doing with my students, telling them about colleges. And <clears throat> this, this woman made this comment. She gave it a one-star rating, and she said, well, I used to think this college was good until I met an alumni who told me that a woman who was being raped might sin because she could enjoy it. And then I figured if they were teaching that K-R-A-P-P in the classroom, uh, uh, there's something wrong with it. Uh, seems that St. Augustine said that. Oh, well. And then, you know, so, sh so after, you know, shooting her mouth off like an ignoramus, <laughs> including the grammatical error of, of um, an alumni, which, of course, alumni is plural. Um, and, of course, I was demonic for having pointed that out to her. Of course you were. 
Yeah. So, um, and I did it gently. I didn't rub it in or, or anything. Um, so I said, it seems to me that your problem is with St. Augustine and not with Thomas Aquinas College. Now, what I didn't do, because I didn't have the benefit of the text in front of me, and I didn't want to spend you know a long time plowing, plowing through stuff to find that in St. Augustine, um, what, what I didn't dare to do, because I knew, I knew every woman on the thing would have jumped on me, um, except maybe a few who could think without just being emotional about the matter. Because now, nowadays, of course, victim blaming, you know, the, the, the thing is we have to believe the women. If, if, if a, apparently, if a woman accuses a man of something evil, we have to believe her. It's morally compulsive, compulsory to believe a woman who accuses a man of something heinous. Uh, which I, I thought that went against our American concept of jurisprudence. But anyway, um, the, the, now we have this this phenomenon of victim blaming. You know, so if you if you dare to say anything about a victim, like even women have said women shouldn't dress immodestly because they only invite these things. Well, you're victim blaming or slut shaming or whatever they call this. Stuff. <laughs> so. I, 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 what I didn't dare to say I, uh, there, I will say here, because I, as it was, they already treated me like I was, like I was Attila the Hun and Genghis Khan and, and Hitler and Mussolini and, and Mao Zedong and everybody else rolled up into one evil, bearded, dark specter. Harvey Weinstein. Don't forget Harvey Weinstein. Oh, yeah. Can't forget Harvey. So, um, St. Augustine said, apparently did say this, that. Um, uh, that a woman who's victimized in that way could sin if she consents to the act. And if you think about it dispassionately, of course it's possible. I mean, it's, of course it's possible. Somebody can violently be forced to do something, and then the will can consent to that thing. And if that thing is evil, then inasmuch as the will consents, there is a sin. Now, Stripping out all of the emotional baggage that comes with discussing this truly heinous, horrible crime of a man committing this sin of against chivalry, uh, sin against woman, whom we are enjoined in Scripture to honor as the weaker vessel. That's St. Paul speaking, uh, the Holy Ghost rather speaking through him. Um, aside from the heinousness of the act of the aggressor, which which St. Augustine would have taken that for granted. I mean, it, in fact, he would have said it. He wouldn't have just taken it for granted. But it was it would be a given, in other words, with St. Augustine, that for a man to commit that crime, it's truly horrible. And in many societies, that was a capital crime. And I think justly so. But But forgetting, setting that aside, the question is, is it possible for a woman in that circumstance to at some point consent to the evil deed and thereby sin? And the only answer is yes. Of course it's possible. Now, that's not victim blaming, because you're not pointing to somebody and saying, in this concrete situation, or you're not generalizing and saying everybody who does that, everybody who does that is therefore subject to to is therefore blameworthy no nobody would say that only only a moron would say that or or, or some tr true genuine misogynist like you know say sigmund freud but somebody who actually uh thinks about it uh it, i think is bound to conclude that yes it's possible that even though the person was violently compelled to do something the will can can during at some point, 
because you're talking, talking about something that happens over time, the will can engage and uh, approve of the thing. So, you know, th- th- this, was a, this, this was a very uh, innocent remark of St. Augustine in his enormous, massive uh, uh, corpus. And because a, a student of Thomas Aquinas College dared to, to quote this, you know, he, uh, the, the, apparently the whole college is evil, huh? So there's an example of, uh, well, A, somebody who's not thinking properly, but B, the, 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 the possibility that even though violently compelled to do something, a person can, on reflection, subsequently choose to enter into that, into that act. Choose to en- choose willfully to accept that thing. Well, brother, um, that concludes Dahomene. We are out of time. We're there. Yes. A blessed Advent to all of you and a Merry Christmas. See you in 2018.